The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is serious, 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 serious fun. Hi-ho, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host and unwilling and unwitting Westview resident, Dr. Brian Carr. And as you can probably gather from that somewhat flippant intro, we are talking about WandaVision this week on Serious Fun. And it's interesting because I... I've recorded multiple versions of this intro, and every time I do, I keep having to correct myself. And I think we make a mistake in the episode because um, WandaVision is not the first streaming show Marvel has done. I mean, uh, I, I first thought, well, like, well, they did Runaways. I thought, like, that was clearly part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I completely forgot that there were multiple Netflix shows. And I think that says a lot more about the shows than it does about my memory. Um, so how about this? WandaVision, if you're not familiar, is uh, the first Marvel Studios streaming show that directly carries over characters and stories from the films. You could argue it's maybe the first one that quote-unquote counts. Um, And so, because this is also the first time in about almost two years we have seen new Marvel Studios content, folks have spent the last several weeks theorizing and debating and discussing and, and, and complaining about WandaVision. And this show is part of that ongoing cacophony of voices. But uh, I think it's a good part, and I'm really, really excited to talk about what this show is and what it means and why it's important with uh, two folks that I think just bring excellent perspectives on WandaVision to the discussion. The first is recurring serious fun guest, uh, one of my former colleagues, wonderful human being, love this guy, Dr. Regan Garung over at Oregon State. Used to be across the hall from me, now he's on the other side of the country, but we can still get to talk about comics. The internet's something else, isn't it? Uh, also with us making her serious fun debut is my uh, undergraduate research assistant and production assistant, Emily Fecto, one of our undergrads here in the uh, mass media emphasis in the communication program at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Both of them bring some excellent thoughts and observations about WandaVision. I will admit I came in skeptical about this show. They kind of turned me around with some of their takes. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to see what you think about it. So don't forget to um, jump in the conversation uh, via social media later on at Learn or Not if you want. Um, I will also warn you before we get started, if you haven't watched WandaVision yet, uh, or you're thinking about you might, or you're really spoiler sensitive, you might want to hold off because we are going to ruin the entire thing. Uh, this is a post-mortem of the entire series, so there's going to be a lot of spoilers in it. If you don't care or you've already finished the show and just want to hear people talk about it, then buckle in, folks. we got a great episode of Serious Fun as we talk about WandaVision. Welcome to 
the serious fun post-mortem of WandaVision, Marvel Studios' first streaming television show. Not their first TV show, but their first streaming television show. Uh, with me to break this down, a very special guest. Uh, the first one is a guy that uh, I was on another podcast with recently. We I, I forget how it came up, but we, it eventually kind of came down to the point where it's like, Either you suggested doing, I think you said you suggested wanting to talk about WandaVision, and then I said you should come on Serious Fun. I think I was kind of taunting you, if anything. Um, and uh, anyway, it's Dr. Regan Garung. Uh, he's director of the General Psychology Program at Oregon State University, a Charles L. Brewer winner uh, of the award for Distinguished Career in Teaching Psychology. APA fellow has written 100 peer-reviewed journal or published 100 peer-reviewed journals and co-authored or co-edited 15 books. Also a comics fan. If you're a longtime Serious Fun listener, you'll remember that Dr. Garung talked about Superman and uh, uh, the sort of psychological power that superhero stories have with me for a special he's wearing the shirt you can't see it on, on on the audio version but he's wearing a superman shirt right now he just pointed at dr grung thank you and welcome back oh thank you so much brian this is uh and, and that's sort of the way it did happen i miss talking about comics we were on the the all-star podcast and with wandavision uh winding down you nicely recognize a great opportunity to talk some more uh comics so thank you for the invitation yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Dr. Grong used to be across the hall from me. And, uh, you know, so we, we would have we could have these conversations in person, but for a lot of reasons we can't do that now. Um, but uh, very glad to have him back. Uh, and uh, also with us, uh, making her Serious Fun debut, uh, Emily Fecto, uh, the Serious Fun slash uh, production assistant slash my research assistant and a UWGB undergrad with a background in film and radio. Um, some of the names she drops are just phenomenal. Uh, and uh, also my peer mentor for my first year seminar on superheroes and society last year. Emily, welcome to Serious Fun. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I'm glad you're here. And uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I fully expect by the end of this, you're gonna supplant me as being the host of the show. That's, that's the goal, I think you're gonna do great. That uh, or my father. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you both have watched WandaVision. I know, uh, Emily, you've watched it twice now um, based on the conversation we've had. Uh, just quick thoughts. What did you think? Um, and uh, we'll start uh, with Emily, if you, if you want to, uh, both on its own terms and in terms of being the first streaming TV series from Marvel Studios. What were your thoughts? I mean, I was skeptical at first, but once it started getting going the first two episodes i was a little bit confused on the overall um concept of the show but after those two episodes i was completely hooked and then re-watching the series last night i was like wow I, I missed a lot of good things that you know coming into it with like you know no perspective or what was going to be going on i thought it was fabulous i loved it and i was re-watching the previ previously on episode right before it came on here too just because that was really great and mm -hmm. i i love the show so uh and regan yeah you know emily it's really two things emily first off i had I have planned to re-watch it as i've been thinking about it so i can look for those little sort of connections but i think what you said about the first two episodes is really the biggie and I think the big difference here is, is I may be older than, I think I am older than both of you combined. Uh, so I actually remember a lot of those shows that it was supposed to be, uh, you know, parroting or being homage to. And 
for that reason itself, even before it really got to why exactly it was these different sitcoms, um, I just love the I just love the throwback components of those shows. Uh, I remember growing up, my my grandmother used to watch a lot of those shows, and that was one of my favorite moments sitting with her as a little kid as she watched it. So, you're absolutely right that those first two are completely different paced, uh, and in general. In general, I think the entire arc of the show is so unlike the big action guns that you know of a normal Marvel Universe movies, uh, the movies that I, I really like that character development and the drama. So I didn't, I, I was a little thrown by the first two, but it was nicely counterbalanced by my nostalgic view, and then seeing what those really meant uh, as we unrolled was was pretty neat. And, and it's absolutely. And it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, one of the things that is worth talking about is that this is also, a you know, there, there are two kind of contextual things that are important about this show. Number one, it's the first, uh, I mean, it's the first time we've seen one of these stories, um, you know, that everybody is watching, it seems like, in the entire country. I mean, we've had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some other shows, but none of those have broken through the way WandaVision has because while they are part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're not really officially, you know, they don't have the same actors and that kind of thing. Um, and so everybody collectively watching it at the same time as it unspools over a number of weeks is something we haven't really seen that before. But the other thing is, it's the also the first Marvel Studios property since, like, 2019. Like, it's been almost two years since we've had a new movie or anything like that. And, I, and one of the things that's going to come up maybe in this conversation is uh, I feel like regardless of how good or bad the show may have been or whether it landed for anybody personally... It has been fascinating uh, to see how people have talked about it, reacted to it, gotten angry about it in a lot of cases. Um, and, and, I, and I think in a lot of ways it speaks to the fact that there is this sort of collective grappling that you used to have at the movie theater and, and conversations with friends afterward at the restaurant or whatever. Now we're just, it's all, we're in our homes and we have nobody to talk to and so we're yelling about this thing online. Um, so the, uh, to me, and I can share some of my thoughts on the show maybe as we go, but I feel like any kind of perception I have of the show is sort of colored by that, right? Um, that in, in many ways, fairly or unfairly, kind of carried this burden that maybe it was never really intended to carry, but by virtue of, you know, the realities of production right now, it did. Um, but I want to talk about that idea of the old sitcoms because I feel like this was a definite point where there was a very big division between people, right? Um, we had people who absolutely loved it. Like, Regan, I know you were a big fan, and I'm assuming, Emily, you were. I was not a huge fan of those first few episodes. Um, it was a lot of... You know, there's a point in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where God appears and, like, the story's taking too long. And he just yells, get on with it! Yep. That's kind of what I was like. <laughs> and, 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 and it's not fair to the show. I, they, they intended it as a slow burn. They were making the show they wanted to make. And I know... It's, you know, I, I, we didn't have to get straight to the Marvel stuff right away. But also, you know, a little bit more like the creepy weirdness would have been nice. But let's let's talk about the, the idea of that. I mean, you know, certainly, Regan, you mentioned that you kind of, you grew up with a lot of these. And I certainly, uh, I watched a lot of these through Nick at Night and that kind of thing. Um, did they successfully sort of recreate the beats and the motifs of those old sitcoms? Like, in a, in a really interesting way. So, you know... I, I think a couple of things here. First off, I think what's really important to even understand, or, you know, to unpack our thinking about those first few episodes and the sitcom notion 
I think what's really important is actually the fact that it was serialized. Mm-hmm. I think, and here's why I think that's important because given that week in between to really try and think about what's going on, you then focus on elements of that sitcom way more than you would have if you sat and binge watched them side to side. So anybody coming late to the game who are watching two or three episodes at the stretch have lost that, oh, over the week, you're thinking, why was it this? Why was it that? Why was it that? So I think that serialization is an important part of that. To answer your question, for me personally, Interestingly enough, Brian, there were moments where I felt exactly that the, the sentiment you expressed, which was, not, and, and to, to tweak it a little bit, nothing much went on. You know, uh, it was like, wait a minute, but nothing happened. And, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what a lot of the sitcoms were. Really not a lot happened. Uh, so I think for, to that extent, it did do that. But by the same token, we can argue just because it did do that, nicely replicate those sitcoms, a lot of the sitcoms from the yesteryears weren't necessarily great TV viewing. So, you know. Well, yeah, they were definitely aimed at kind of the, you know, it's what we in broadcasting call lowest or least objectionable programming, right? You know, they're shows that are aimed at a large audience. They're sort of broad. They're not really, you know, um, they're kind of aimed to not really offend anybody, but also to kind of also be just welcoming enough for most people to at least enjoy them on some level. That really has gone away, the idea of least objectionable programming. Um, in an age where everything is streaming and highly fragmented. Um, but, uh, and so, the, yeah, it, it, there definitely is that element of it, right? And Emily, I don't know if you want to follow up on that kind of from uh, sort of a younger perspective. I know you're certainly no stranger to media yourself, so I'm sure you probably saw a few of these too. Oh, absolutely. Especially with like the, the first couple episodes with the, like the sitcom related, um, I guess aspects to that. I thought it was interesting. Again, I would agree with um, with you with um, how nothing really kind of happened, but at the same time, there were sprinkled in little things with Vision and with the boss. And I I, I don't know with spoilers. I don't want anything with that. But like oh, the way that it just so we're clear, everything here is if you're li- if you're listening to this, you've made a mistake. We're gonna ruin everything. Yeah. All right, but so um, with that, <laughs> you, I, made, I, you made a mistake if you haven't watched. I should say you might have exactly, mistake, but for sure, fantastic if you show. <laughs> but um, so I thought it was kind of like just with certain um, older sitcoms that I, I remember watching with my mom and kind of it was that kind of cutesy that there's no serious conflict that it was something that could always be resolved and i like that one with like the lobster on the door or like all these people popping in because it was very neighborly feeling and all of a sudden it takes away from all that to when the boss is having uh, an, an issue and then it cuts to very serious which is out of out of that kind of um that general um, feel to a like a classic sitcom so I really like that and watching it a, the second time that was more understandable like w- watching the progression of the show I thought that was really well played and out of character for what those traditionally mm-hmm. have held before so certainly so, Brian if I could just jump in there yeah please so Emily yeah you know Emily I think you said something that's really jumped out at me which was and and critical I think one of the biggest criticisms for a lot of those old sitcoms is that it portrayed an artificial world, right? I mean, the real world has problems. 
But a lot of those, and you know, leave it to Beaver, for example, and I'm not just saying that because the Beaver is our Oregon State mascot, but leave it, leave it to Beaver comes to mind, right? But it's like, wait, the world isn't like that, right? And that's, I think, exactly an el- a critical element of those first two episodes of WandaVision, where it is, lo- maybe it was the world Wanda wanted, right? Maybe it's trying to lull you into that, but good Lord, that's not the reality. And I think that's what makes it so juicy is it goes from that fake, everything is wonderful to, you know, the rest. Right. Exactly. And it gets real creepy real fast. And, and like those are the parts in those first few episodes that really stood out to me, like where it gets unsettling. Like that's what I was hoping. That's like, that's what I wanted. But there's a lot of sitcom before that. Exactly. And even with like the, the slight character break of um, uh, the the actress who played Kitty from um, that 70s show, Deborah I don't Joe know. Is her name. Okay, yes. So with the facial expressions from that one scene was just so interesting for me the second time because it was like it just repeating so it, it was almost like someone was trying to edit on air like if, if something was live it's like okay like what is next which i found really interesting to me watching the second time so certainly and of course you know casting her was no accident um mm-hmm. they specifically you know a few of the actors who are on here have some sitcom association themselves randall park was in fresh off the boat as well i'm sure there are others that i'm that i'm not thinking of at the moment but uh you know having the mom from that 70s show was definitely a pretty you know strong casting choice but i think there's something interesting about this idea of you know the the artificiality of the sitcom being sort of you know and, and a show about artificial people um and in set in an artificial world created uh, by someone who has the power to essentially unmake reality, which I, I should point out, um, you know, for people who came in late, this is the first time we've really seen what her powers can do. Like, uh, her powers are not terribly well-defined in the comics most of the time, and the movies especially show so. Um, so, like, really seeing what she could do is kind of interesting. But, you know, the, the big reveal... Um, I would say, yeah, like right before, like the penultimate episode, I think, uh, is the reveal of why specifically someone who was raised in Sokovia, um, you know, a sort of amalgamation of various Eastern European countries, would create a reality based on old American sitcoms. And of course, we learn that, you know, these are DVDs, her... Um, her mom owned, her dad was trying to sell, or some, I forget the exact ownership there, but they were in the family's possession, and that was how they practiced their English. And so this was a family time. They escaped into television uh, while all this sort of civil war was raging around them. And, of course, you know, we get the scene where the Stark bomb comes in and, you know, triggers kind of her and Pietro's whole thing. Um, so the reveal of this, did that ring true to you um, when, when you watched this? Did that make sense? Or did it kind of just, like, take something that was kind of an interesting metaphor and just make it too blunt? For me, yes. I think that that was really... Because that actually, that's the episode that I was watching before coming on here um but yes it, it made a lot a lot of sense with the character's development and why she would choose to do this and you know try to create a peachy keen world where nothing bad happened or that she could rewrite her entire story or write something that nothing bad will happen so i i thought that that was really an important and defining aspect to the the, the series so 
I, I think that was good. <laughs> I wouldn't have picked well, up on it at first. Well, and I think, in fact, it was one of those classic, not too subtle, in case you wondered why, even you may have guessed this is the case, but let us confirm that this is indeed the case. Because I think the metaphor actually still holds, and it's almost one of those, here, let me be straight with you in case you missed the hinting at why we're doing this. Here's why we're doing it. So I think uh, if if they treated us as being more sophisticated than we are and with less cognitive load than we are, I don't know if we'd even need that heavy-handed, here's exactly why they did it. But I think uh, it was helpful. you know. But for me personally, it just strengthens the whole metaphor instead of weakening it. So I, I want to, you know, and I'm glad that you're here with us, Dr. Grung, because I, I think from a psychological standpoint, I, I really want to break down the show a little bit. Um, you know, this entire series fundamentally is about grief, uh, you know, regardless of one's thoughts and how well they'd handle it. That's what the show is about. And, you know, we, we talk about this idea of the superhero as a metaphor uh, in the classes I teach. This comes up a lot and how, you know, through this sort of exaggerated lens, we can see some fundamental human truths. So, you know, from a psychological standpoint, this idea of the reveal of what Westview really is, um, this idea that's sort of this fictional reality she has created as a coping mechanism deal with this very deep-seated hurt that has finally just come to a head. Does that ring true from a psychological standpoint about how we deal with trauma? Well, I think, first off, it's a... A, a, a wonderful exaggeration of the normal processes that most of us experience. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess the short answer is yes, it rings true, but, but it is such a big exaggeration. And here's what I mean. I think whenever we are sad, whenever we are down, there is wishful thinking. We always have the, I wish I could done something differently, or I wish I could have this happened, or how nice would it be if I could have this to fill that hole in my life? And what this nine episode uh, you know, series does is say, what if you had the power to do that, right? And of course, Wanda did have the power. Uh, what if you had the power to do that? And lo and behold, she does She does have the power and did do that. Uh, so in some ways, it is this extreme, extreme exaggeration of normal psychological processes. And I think it's important, important for me to un underline that I think this that's exact. It's a normal psychological process. Those of us who grieve, and many of us have grieved something or the other, in fact, we do something like what Wanda did, and we create fake realities, not to the extent of Westview, of course, but we do create fake realities. We, we create realities, we, we create assumptions, we walk around as if something is true when that something may not be true, and it's only true because it makes us feel better. Uh, so that part is great. I, I also wanted to say, while I still had breath in this sentence, that I think I've read a lot about grief and grief and grief in WandaVision. And I'd like to say, and this is not just the optimist in me, but I think a lot of it is about love, the power of love, the love for a child, the love for a partner, the love for a way of life, you know, the love for parents, right? And I don't, I don't see people talking about the love part enough. It's almost like, what would you do for love? Not just what would you do selfishly for grief? You know, and I think that second part is important as well. Well, it certainly is, especially by the end of it. Um, and uh, I have some, I have, there's some thoughts I want to share about that. But uh, Emily, did you want to add anything to that? No, I, I totally agree. Um, 
I, I think that it is kind of that perfect reality of trying to protect yourself and protect others in the way that she had con- conceived that whole notion of being, oh, with the, with the twins was an interesting one because when they were deciding the names that it was like, oh, Billy or Tommy and that it was just so perfect that she could make everyone else happy, but she was just happy inside of her own bubble that it's not just grief. It is a coping mechanism and with dealing how she wants to show love for the, the ones that she cares of, uh, cares about. And, and Regan, you brought up this interesting question um, that I hadn't thought about, but is something that is made all but explicit in the finale is this idea that after Wanda is kind of has kind of undone everything, right? She does this walk through the center of town, and all the people that she's essentially kind of held hostage, I guess for lack of a better term, turn and look at her. And, and in many ways, she's lucky that's all she got, right? Um, but, you know, you, you ask this question, does that powerful feeling of grief or love justify taking free will? Because there are reads of this series that suggests that her actions are not necessarily villainous in the traditional sense, but certainly are not in line with what we traditionally expect of a hero. So I, I, I wonder if you had some thoughts on that. Uh, in Something that really struck me is uh, this whole notion about the free will of the characters. And this happens all the way, was it episode uh, I think one of the first two episodes, right, where where Vision goes to work and he frees uh, his office co-worker for just a little bit, right? Uh, I know is that maybe that's episode two. And I think this the whole notion about, but hello, they, the, the show does such a good job of getting us to feel bad for Wanda that we really, and I know for long periods of time, actually, I'll admit most of the time, I didn't even think about the fact that Wanda took people's free will. And I mean, in centuries of philosophy, in centuries of psychology, uh, in contemporary neuroscience, this whole notion of do we have free will or not is such a big deal. And here's Wanda for her own selfish purposes, taking people's free will. So I think that's just a fascinating element. And you're right. It's it's as she's walking through, you know, just because she sacrificed a lot doesn't mean we let her off the hook, right? And and that's what it's almost like, oh, they don't know what you sacrificed. Does it really matter, right? Does it really matter? And my only, my only uh, cognitive dissonance reduction mechanism leads me to think, wait a minute, that whole her taking free will leads me to question a bigger question for all of us, and I'd love to hear your two takes on this, is to what extent was Wanda actually aware of all that she was doing in the earlier, you know, leading up to it? Because clearly she wasn't in control of everything. Clearly, we now know that Agatha pulled was the puppeteer pulling some of the strings, but by virtue of the fact that Agatha was doing something outside of Wanda's control, it really made me rethink, and that's why I want to go back and re- revisit it. How many, how many of those early episodes were just her playing a part to Vision versus her really not being in control of some elements of, of her world? And that would make me feel a little bit better of her taking everybody's free will. Although, I, I don't know if I can you know, let her off that hook. Emily, I'll let you jump on this because I, I have thoughts, but I'll let you go first. I mean, I, I, it, I, 
I guess that's that's a loaded question. I, I think that, that it's really interesting because she did keep a bunch of people, as you said, like hostage with this. And whether, you, you know, I think that's another interesting thing with creating like a sitcom or a television show that, you know, you feel for the characters that you're you're seeing and then you get to know them through the lens that they're showing you. And with those brief intermissions of time where you actually see that these people are scared, they don't know what's going on. And then it goes back to normal, like, oh, so like, how can I help you today? Like, you know, just kind of, it's all scripted. And if they did something wrong, it's like, oh, do you want to do a retake? To me, that was really like, oh, I feel bad, but they seem happy, but they're not. <laughs> like, they won't, they don't know what's going on. And I, I, I think that it was very interesting element about the show so dr car please yeah so i I think that there's a level of plausible deniability she has in the first episode when she starts realizing that you know because you can almost say okay maybe the extent of her powers is that she has either through manipulation of reality or just her own you know cognitive processes convinced her that what she's seeing is real and everything is is correct right and so I can almost buy it through the end of that first episode where um, the boss starts choking and she and and, and uh, you know um, Kitty I'm gonna just call her Kitty turns <laughs> to uh, turns to Wanda and says stop it like she's not she's not talking to anybody else she's talking to Wanda it's it's very unsettling right um, and so I, I think at that point she's like maybe there's something wrong here um, and and so as soon as she kind of like clicks like it stops right. But I think that's the last point we really have plausible deniability. After that, every reminder she has that something is fictional, there's the really, you know, um, and, and I got to give credit, there's just standout performances from everybody. I mean, Elizabeth Olsen's the star, and, and she deserves to be, because she just brought was able to finally, like, provide some really needed depth to this character. Um, and, you know, just the way she says no when the, when the beekeeper, who we know now is a sword agent, has come in and tries to like investigate. She knows the jig is up and she just will not have it. At that point, I, I, I don't think she's unaware. And, and I think she's continuing to sort of lie to herself. Um, and, you know, we see what happens to people when they, you know, when, when they try to break her fantasy. She throws Monica Rambeau through the entire, an entire city in New Jersey, right? Um, and, and like, you know, she, and, and it's, I don't know. I. I think there is a read that there's there's a tragedy to her, right? Her entire kind of character on, you know, fairly or unfairly is based on tragedy. I think one of the nice things is that the end of the series is kind of her getting out of that a little bit. Um, but, you know, you think about something like, you know, Frankenstein made his monster and the monster turned on him. You think about like just the tragic notion of these people who really were genuinely hurt or thought they were doing good, but they're not. Um, and, and the Marvel Universe is no shortage of that, right? You think you look at Tony Stark. How many times has Tony Stark personally, just him, nearly destroyed the world because he thought he was doing the right thing i'm just saying you know the 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 clay the feet of clay the hubris that our characters have in the marvel universe is something that has has always been something that attracted me to the comics right these are not perfect paragons of virtue they are not these iconic godlike figures they are in many cases broken struggling people who happen to have these godlike powers and so that manifests in different ways all right, so not to get too psychological on you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take it up a notch in terms of what you just said, Brian, and I'm gonna suggest that 
but the whole by whole by the whole virtue of her broadcasting okay and i'm going to use that term broadcasting a tv show it it is possible that at some level of non-conscious processing she, that was the little signal to come in and help right okay. because think about it she could have created her alternate universe with the different sitcoms without broad in quotes broadcasting it it could have just been this is the world as we know it but yet there's the broadcast and clearly that's the mechanism by which the outer world finds out what's going on and i guess to me i go maybe that's a, an actual another sign that of that inherent wonder goodness mm-hmm. the fact that there are some of those elements out of her control because otherwise why risk being discovered by doing a in quotes broadcast so right. you know that's just me making up stuff but you know well, no, and it makes a degree of sense. I mean, part of the reason I, I would I think if you if you take it down that logical step, theoretically, at some point, you know, she would have probably stopped this on her own. Right. The problem is she was not the only person in there that knew what was going on and manipulating it. Of course, we get the very catchy song that uh, reveals this in the, I think, sixth episode, which became like I, I think it's still like one of the most popular songs on Spotify, Agatha All Along. Um, there's like dance remixes and like you know, um, you know, trap house remixes. It's fantastic. Um, but uh, and I just have Catherine Hahn written in all caps on my notes here because I think that's if you know we talk about uh, great performances, Elizabeth Olsen obviously being the star, but my God, Catherine Hahn like just took a role like. It was almost a letdown when they said that there's a Loki show coming. It's like, no, we're on a different charismatic magical antagonist now, okay? You just wait your turn, bud. Um, so, but what's interesting, so we can talk about her more, her, her more later, but, you know, if, if you look at when uh, the, the broadcast, as you put it, is starting to be challenged, she is kind of the one at every step that makes it keep running, you know, because she needs it to kind of figure out what her deal is so she can exploit it. Um, and so there is, I think, t- something in the text to support that read. I, w- I will say that much. So, you know, so Brian, you, know, you brought up Catherine Hahn, and I think, I hope we can also touch on on vision. I mean, you know, obviously focusing on Wanda is key, but I think even apart from, from Agatha, and I loved, and I'll just say, you know, uh, in the intro, you mentioned that you and Emily were both, you know, doing the first year seminar, which reminds me of my favorite first year seminar, God's Ghosts and Goblins, that I taught for many years at Green Bay. And what we enjoyed in that class was talking about witchcraft and, well, we talked about a lot of things, but we talked about, you know, witchcraft and aliens and all of that. And I think that's the neat thing to see in here, because normally you see sorcery in a completely separate place, right? Doctor Strange and with its own line. And you see the superhero stuff in one place. And here you saw both the sorcery and the, you know, history of witches merging with the superhero stuff. And I thought that was sort of cool. But then also in that mix, you see AI and artificial intelligence and vision. And to and something I was caught off guards with, and maybe 
troubled by, right? Something I kept thinking about is, well, especially as we find out in the end, if, you know, if Vision is completely a Wanda production, right? The, the level of self-awareness shown by this, you know, self-production seems a little odds at the fact that his entire consciousness and script, as it were, is coming from Wanda, you know? But there again, that may be that separate level of her non-conscious processing. So it's not just the broadcast that it's a call for help, but she's also, you know, filled vision the you know new vision with this ability to go beyond as another way to pull her out of whatever she's doing. I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, the text does support it. I mean, why would you create, you know, a, a copy of vision if not on some level you kinda needed that, you knew you needed to hold you back, right? I don't think it was just the fact that she missed him. Um, you know, and, and it's really supported, I think, by the, the speech she gives at the end when they're um, holding when they're together one last moment before everything's undone again. You know, you're that part of me, you know, my grief, my love. All, I forget the exact wording, but it's, it's very beautiful the way she the way it's written. Um, and, and I wonder if there is some if that supports. I don't know, Emily, if you had any thoughts on this. No, I know. I again, I just I agree that I, I just I agree with all that. I, I thought it was very interesting. So. <laughs> So let me, uh, I, I, as long as we're shouting out actors, I mean, like, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, it, it, it remains extremely funny to me uh, that Paul Bettany has become this, the, this character after essentially doing what was like maybe a couple hours of work for a friend on a movie years ago that I don't think he ever actually saw. Um, I don't know. If he, I think he said in an interview he never actually watched the first Iron Man or something like that. Um, and now he's doing this, right? So, you know, the world works in mysterious ways. Um, but I also want to give a lot of credit to Tayana Paris, who I feel doesn't get nearly talked about enough, but uh, there's someone who also, in a lot of ways, her journey is in parallel to Wanda's. She had a traumatic event that she was not actually around for, right? So, you know, Wanda's traumatic event, she had to relive multiple times, right? Because not only did she have to destroy Vision herself, Thanos just... It's, it's not funny, but it is. The fact that he rewound time and made her do it again was just like such a classic Thanos move. Um, but uh, this, but Tiana Paris, you know, as, as Monica Rambeau, who first off, I was so psych psyched to see Monica Rambeau. I was, I was just like, as soon as they dropped her name in the first Captain Marvel, like, we're going to get Monica. Um, but, uh, and she was great in this. And, you know, giving her powers is so cool. Um, but she ha was not around for the death of her mother because she was one of the people who got snapped, right? Um, and so that scene, and, and I feel like this is maybe one of my favorite scenes in the entire show, and it doesn't get talked about enough, where you live through the aftermath of everybody coming back and the chaos and like you, the slow creeping, like at first you're like, what is happening? And you, when you realize it hits you like a ton of bricks, um, you know, slowly reconstituting the, the chaos in the hospital, people wondering like, who are you? Where did you come from? Um, you know, they play it for laughs in Spider-Man, but it's a, it's a horrific event when you think just as bad as people going away is them coming back like that. Um, and so I thought it was interesting that, like, in her own way, she sort of was parallel and that they're both dealing with the long-term effects of this thing that was very formative and traumatic for them, but they go in very different directions. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I particularly liked, you, you know, and it took me some time to figure out which of the episodes had something after the credits and which didn't. And, of course, the age-old, if it's a Marvel movie, watch till the end anyway, 
you know, I, I ignored that because the first few didn't. But, right. you know, when you look at how many minutes are remaining, and, and that's why right at the end, when you see that little bit, you go, all right, this is great. You know, this is that lovely tie back to uh, to Captain Marvel uh, there. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'll admit that I, I didn't know as much about the Monica Rambo side of things. I'm, de- you know, definitely looking to see, you know, where, where that goes. Mm-hmm. But loved, loved, you know, how she was in there. And in the first ensemble, in the first few seasons, you have little indication, you know, that she's somebody from the outside. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a great little, you know, realization when you see the role that she plays in the earlier on, I think episode three, maybe. Oh, no, but in a metatextual on, way too, like, uh, you know, being one of the only black characters on the show is also a throwback to the fact um, in old sitcoms that was, you know, uh, it was it was really not until like the like late 60s, 70s that you even had token African-American characters on sitcoms. Um, so in their own kind of way, like there there is almost this reference to the fact that she is from the outside. If you kind of know the history of television, like, huh, that's odd that all of a sudden this extremely white show is now more diverse. Um, you know, maybe I'm just reading too much into it because I study this kind of stuff. I, I mean, I, I, I lecture on this sort of thing, but I also wonder too, like, you know, they, they, ca- they might have done that intentionally again, maybe not, but. From my guess, I do think that it might've been, um, purpose, purposely because of the way that she kind of pops into the, the sitcom opposed to, you know, before it was very like kind of. I, I don't know how to say that. Like it was kind of, you know, crisp and clean. And all of a sudden there's like this subtle transition throughout the series. And then, you know, you see more African-American people kind of showing up in the show. I think there's the the one with the gardener, like he's like trimming the hedges. I, I that it, Like obviously it like kind of ended up taking a weird turn where he's actually cutting the, the, the cement, but it kind of, it seemed like that there was like, Oh, okay. I see what you're doing with the progression of television sitcoms. And I thought it was kind of interesting, but I loved her character and I thought she did a great job in that role. And, you know, Brian relatedly, uh, and, and this is pretty salient to me right now is there's so much, so much news about uh, aggression towards Asian Americans when you think about, you know, the Jimmy character, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and I like the fact that instead, you know, even Hollywood and, and, and movie making has come a long way from the, the bumbling Asian from mm-hmm. the Peter Sellers movies, you know, now to a, a smart uh, FBI, you know, agent, you know, Jimmy, who, who, takes more responsibility. And I thought that I love that little interchange between Monica and Jimmy at the end where she goes, leadership looks good on you. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. It was like, yes, it does. You know, we need more uh, characters like that who, yes, still ha- have the remnants of comic relief. There's, you know, some funny part in there, but nothing close to what it used to be. And instead there's that much more, you know, forcefulness, which is, which is really uh, good to see. It is. And, you know, for both the reasons you stated, but also as a comics fan, I when, when you say that and you reference that scene, my first thought is, are we going to get Agents of Atlas? Because he's the leader of Agents of Atlas. And I want to see Ken Hale, the Gorilla Man. I want to see Marvel Boy and Venus. Because I'm a dork, right? <laughs> like, I was, I was, you know, I, when they put Jimmy Woo in that first, in that second Ant-Man movie, I'm like, Jimmy Woo, yes! I'm really, like, I love that series. So I'm really, really, I was really excited. So hopefully they see, because um, he was probably one of the, you know, I think everybody's a breakout character in this series, but, um, you know, uh, Randall Park, who's just tremendous in everything. I'm a huge fan of Randall Park. Um, Always Be My Maybe is a fantastic movie on Netflix if you haven't seen it. 
Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of calls for him to get his own X-Files style type show where he just goes around solving the mysteries of the Marvel Universe. And I would, I, I, I absolutely, yes, yeah, sign me up. Ten, ten seasons in a movie. Let's go. Um, so I, 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 there's a lot to talk about with this show. Um, and, and, I, and I wonder, you know, like, because I, I think this these sort of universal concepts are part of why it's so popular. And we can certainly talk about the Marvel brand just being tremendously popular in and of itself. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people came to this, I, and I've even noticed sort of anecdotally, I don't know if you two have, um, this idea that, uh, people who are not necessarily super versed in the Marvel lore, not necessarily going to the movies and all that, are checking this out because it's what everybody's talking about, right? Much the same way that the Mandalorian, because of Grogu, um, to be turned a lot of people into essentially new Star Wars fans. Um, and, and I was wondering, because, you know, the, the there was an interview that Kevin Feige, the, the, the guy who's kind of in charge of the Marvel Studios project, um, gave that he wants all of their shows to be accessible and standalone, whether you've seen a movie or not. And I watched WandaVision, and I'm like, I, I don't think you're getting there, bud. Like, I, I do <laughs> think, you know, that they did a fairly good job catching people up. But I also think if I was completely cold, I had not read the comics, I had not seen the movies, and I came into this just because everybody was talking about it, I would be like, who is this lady? What is the deal with the, sit the sitcom stuff? Why is he a robot? Like, I would have all these questions. Um, and, and, you know, like, as soon as they, I think the part that got me is when they name drop Ultron and have no real context for explaining who Ultron is. Now, of course, we all know who Ultron is. Um, and, and I, you know, as... I, I promise I'm getting to a question here, um, and, and I've been I've been thinking about this. I've also been watching the Star Trek shows on Paramount Plus, um, specifically Picard and Lower Decks, um, which I love. Lower Decks especially, um, and I constantly have to wiki stuff because I'm not a huge Star Trek guy. I like Star Trek, but I was always more of a Star Wars guy. Um, and the shows are not made for people who are casual Star Trek fans, I would argue. They are made for people who are like, oh, that's Hugh from the episode da-da-da-da-da. Or, you know, oh, it's really, really funny that one of the guys, uh, one of the commanders, like, fights with his hands, like, kind of, like, double-axe-handled punching guys, right? Um, but I also wonder, like, you know, does it have to be? Like, uh, does this have to actually be accessible? Do you, like, do you think that uh, somebody could come in and watch this and fully follow it or you know is it is there something okay or is it okay just to say that this is something made for people who are already invested in this and that's fine i personally think that it's kind of um i think it's kind of neutral to, i guess it depends on your preference if where like if you're going to actually watch past the two or like the first two or three episodes I have kept pitching it to my parents and my parents are low. Oh, well, I think my dad would actually really like it. But my mom goes, that sounds ridiculous. Like, I don't want to waste my time on that. I'm like, well, it's actually really good. And it has a point, like a purpose here. I think you would actually like it once you get past the first couple episodes. So for, I guess it just depends on the, the person. I personally, I, you know, I knew a little less than you guys about it, but, and it wasn't even that it was like the popularity of it. Of course, I've seen like all the commercials and everything and I was interested, but I think it is kind of universally a likable show if you give it a chance. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's, you know, and, and that's, that's a really interesting question, Brian, because I think you know, I think there's a there's definitely, especially over the last year of, of the pandemic, there's been a hunger 
for things to latch onto. It, it's always nice when many people watch something so you can talk about it. And I think uh, that right there, WandaVision provided something to talk about where maybe even some of that talking talking about was who the heck is that person and why is that thing, you know? So I think that's what did ma- manage to make it uh, a lot more accessible. You know, what, what I'm struck by is, is even though I l- enjoy comics, I did not, I, I definitely didn't read too much about, you know, the Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when people go, oh yeah, Agatha was in the comics or Sparky was, you know, was an Android in the comics, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I go, I didn't know that. And it didn't necessarily make a difference. You know, uh, I think you can take it another level. I think there's the people who don't read comics, but still can appreciate them and enjoy them. I think there's also another category is when you look at WandaVision is the folks who stayed away from the big action blow them up, uh, you know, Avenger movies and, and that kind of stuff. I don't think you need to have watched the 29 Avenger movies to still appreciate the character development and the drama. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key here is that this is like a drama, you know, this is like a drama and there's enough of the dramatic elements to keep you going. Uh, you know, I think when you look at the next, you know, stuff coming down the pike, there may be still a reversion back to the, you know, the cop, the cop buddy, the buddy cop type of drama coming up with, you know, that that's what it's suggesting to be. But here in WandaVision was old school drama. And I think what actually really helps is that in the Avenger movies, there's so little of Wanda. So you're not, you know, yeah, you want, you know, uh, what amuses me is Marvel put together the legends of Marvel to catch people up on things, which is basically a clip of everything that that person has been in. Not really worth time for folks who've watched this stuff, but in some ways, because I was curious, I watched the legends of Marvel vision and Wanda, and, you know, it gives you everything that they've ever done before. And you see how little it is nicely allowing you to do this series. And I think that's what I enjoyed about this is interestingly enough, it's not until the very last scene, right? Or scenes where you see the Scarlet Witch and Scarlet Witch regalia, Mm -hmm. you know, surrounded by chakras and flying, you know, whatever, and all that kind of stuff and, and the duality. So I think short answer to your question Oh, I, I think they, they managed to, by virtue of being a drama and not just a guns and action and bombs deal, there's a little, you know, very little of that, or there's some of that. I think it appeals, you know? Well, and you're right that we're going completely the other direction with Falcon and Winter Soldier coming soon to Disney+. Plus. Um, so maybe we'll, have a review, maybe we'll have a discussion about that after that's done. But um, it, you're right. But I also kind of thought about it, you know, as I'm watching this. And, uh, like, I think it works on some level as almost a horror show at certain points. Like, there's something very unsettling. And, like, I would also say, like, the fake commercials that we haven't really talked about that are in the first few several episodes range from kind of odd to... You know the the one that's like the the fake yogurt commercial with like the the claymation where the the kids trying to open the yogurt and dies like that's dark like that's dark in a way they would never they would not do in the movies I think 
And, and you know, I, I think they take advantage of the fact it's on TV and maybe the expectations or the budget's a little bit different. So they can go in some kind of weirder directions. Um, and and I almost, it almost became kind of disappointing at the very end where it becomes more of a traditional Marvel, you know, we're shooting energy at each other kind of fight. Because, um, because you know, you're, you're getting at something interesting that one of the things that's always was interesting about Marvel, especially back in like the Silver and Bronze Age and all that, was that you'd have these comics that were really just the characters kind of sitting around hanging out. Um, here's, you know, we're gonna ha- we're gonna spend like five pages of the X Men playing baseball or Peter Parker, you know, worrying about going getting getting a date for the dance. And that was always what kind of made it interesting to me is that you know they, that they had lives beyond just you know I'm gonna put on a costume and punch bad guys. Um, you know, and, and maybe we've gotten away from that a little bit, and maybe that's part of why it feels weird um, to a lot of people, is that, you know, we've been trained to kind of think about superheroes as only being the one thing, when they can really be a lot of other stuff. And yeah, I'm going to pick up on, you use the word costume, and I think, you know, something I found myself reflecting on is, is look at the the very last scene, right? Or, or I, one of the very last scenes after the credits in the last episode, where you see... Uh, the Scarlet Witch studying, right, in her Scarlet Witch, uh, Witch costume. And then you see Wanda, you see Sweatpants Wanda, mm-hmm. you know? And throughout the show, I love the use of clothing, mm-hmm. not just in the period pieces, but also in general, you know, uh, somebody in the family said, oh, look, she's wearing mom jeans, you know, in a certain, in a certain episode. And that's really stark contrast between in quotes, mom jeans and the Scarlet Witch leather outfit, the use of that for the different personalities, I think adds to the to what they did, which was in many ways, and, and I didn't say this when I talked about vision earlier, so I'll squeeze it in here, which was in many ways, the vision that Wanda created was part of Wanda's personality. You know, and psychologically, we have a self-concept. We have different ideas of who we are with, you know, and all these ideas of who we are are living in this head that we have, right? And what you see here, both, you know, in the personification of vision as another part of Wanda's self, and then at the end, Wanda in these two costumes as another element of that, you know, the different parts of who each of us, who each of us are. You know, the the Brian in sweat, sweatpants in his home office, the Brian in classroom and whatever you wear to class, you know, and I think yeah. that I love that side by side usage. And it is more drama. It is what a what a stark difference between the Clark Kent suit persona mm-hmm. and the Superman costume. Right. Right. Put Clark Kent and Superman, those two costumes and put uh, sweatpants one uh, and Scarlet with side by side. I, I, I would I think that's a great way to think about it. And, you know, certainly uh, you, you mentioned that idea of, you know, because I think in a lot of ways, uh, like especially because we're all working from home now, those different identities and parts of ourself have become so intertwined, you know, um, because I am sweatpants, Brian, in my office, but I'm also teaching a class. Right. Um, you know, little, little uh, sorry to break the illusion. But you know, I, I I am wearing I am wearing sweatpants most of the time because you know I only have to see from the chest up. Um, but uh, and I wonder if maybe that's also like because because you're kind of you're both kind of talking me into some things I hadn't really thought about because I was kind of lukewarm on the show a little bit if I'm going to be honest. Um, I liked a lot of what it did, but overall I just there are things I would have maybe done differently. Um, but you know there is some resonance to it in that you know that sort of merging between our professional self, our ideal self, and the reality of it. 
Um, and, and Wanda's kind of living that in, in her own way and ironically a bubble of her own making, right? And so maybe there is something to be said that while this was certainly produced before the pandemic, it feels really relevant during the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. And touching back with the, the, the costumes too, I also think it kind of portrayed how Wanda, like her confidence level at certain parts. And I, I thought that it was really cool in all the different transitions through, you know, it, it's cutting through different sitcom stuff. And so the one episode with the Malcolm in the Middle references, I looked back just to kind of like, you know, do a side by side of how the the actors were portrayed and how they were their clothing wise and i'm like wow she looks just like lois in this like you know kind of i thought it was so great and having like the same textual like the credits and everything same with the modern family episode i just really i, I was surprised i even showed my my mom that scene at one point she's like huh is this a new malcolm in the middle I'm like no gotcha yeah. Well, yeah, the recreation of all the like the sitcoms and the costumes and the lighting, just tremendous work on the production side. Um, and also, I'm just going to give a quick shout out because I feel like I'm one of the only people who caught this. That episode, that's the, uh, I, well, it's not the Malcolm, but it's the one that's the Modern Family one that people are like, oh, the opening's from The Office. No. The opening is from Happy Endings, one of the funniest shows ever on network television. It only lasted for like three seasons, but that sh- that is absolutely it's also a disney production by the way it's own it's an abc production um but it is uh i, I was i i pointed at the screen because my wife and i both love that show I'm like happy endings they're doing happy endings that's the opening um and everybody else i i feel like we're the only ones who got that and it's a shame but uh, i appreciated that as a deep cut uh because i really feel more people should go check that show out it's on hulu i think um Sorry, I think I stopped the conversation, <laughs> but it's a great show. No, it, it is a great show. And it just had me thinking, yeah, no, haven't I, I, did, I did not make that con- you know, connection. And, you know, I'm going to look back and then check some of that out. Yeah. I mean, maybe I, it was just wishful thinking and just me wanting it to be. But I, mean, but I, think, I, I think that's what they were going for. And it was a nice deep cut because it was definitely not the Modern Family intro um, and definitely not the Office intro. Uh so I want to talk about um, kind of the way that we consume media right now. Uh, and, and I think Marvel is, is maybe the interesting way to talk about this because they have really sort of pioneered this idea of... And I, I want to be clear, when we talk about what the Marvel Cinematic Universe does, what Marvel Studios does, it is not... They have innovated in a really meaningful way for film and television. But they are following the playbook that Marvel came up with back in the 60s and 70s of a connected universe with multiple things kind of building on each other. And, you know, one book acting as a way to kind of tease you or to encourage you to get another book. Um, But one of the, you know, people had projected a lot of their hopes and dreams onto this show. Um, And and the, the I think the creators were really kind of frustrated about this. You can kind of tell in the interviews they were doing. But there's a lot of people like, oh, this is how they bring X-Men in because Wanda's part of the part of the X-Men. Or this is how they're going to bring in Fantastic Four. This is how they're going to do this and this and this. Every character that's not already part of the universe is going to come in through WandaVision. And they were trying to really temper people's expectations, saying we're telling a story about Scarlet Witch. We're telling a story about Vision. Um, you know, we're telling a story about uh, Monica Rambeau and Agatha Harkness. 
but people just were convinced like that aerospace engineer she's talking to has got to be Reed Richards, right? Or, um, you know, uh, like, you know, and, and it didn't help that they had uh, this kind of reference in episode five where Pietro, her dead brother, shows up and it's played by Evan Peters, who played the same character, arguably a better version of that character, in my personal opinion, in the in the Fox X-Men movies. Um, and, and it became kind of this question about are we watching stories to watch them now or are we watching stories to get excited about other stories to come and is that healthy i don't know like is there uh and, and you know marvel certainly like what what role does their own kind of expectations they've set play in that you know brian it, it's interesting you know what this your question makes me think about your question makes me think about the episode eight of Star Wars, where I think so many things happen with Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson, and it's almost like, "What? Well, wait a minute, you know, is this where it's going? Is this where it's going? Is that where it's going? And of course, I don't think the Star Wars extended universe is as well known as the, the Marvel extended universe, but I saw the same kind of thing happening there where it was almost like they are pointing towards a possible directions and then of course episode nine comes along and you see no that was all a red herring you know and and i think that's what really got me thinking about this notion uh you know the concept of you know Chekhov's gun right mm -hmm. don't if there's a pistol on the wall in one ep in one part of the story that pistol should be used in the other part of the story right and that's Chekhov's gun and I think what I see is too much of Chekhov's gun type of thinking mm -hmm. in watching WandaVision. You know, they've done this, therefore it has to be that. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to say, hey, viewers, even super fans out there, uh, you know, the phrase is a little knowledge is dangerous. I think a lot of knowledge is frustrating because then you're looking at something with so close an eye, expecting it to go someplace. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean they won't, but... I think I saw too much commentary on, you know, exactly the lines you said. Uh, well, in, when in fact, I think I like a little bit of sub, subterfuge and obfuscation. Right. I think it, and let's add it to a point we made earlier, then serialize it. So you're left for a whole week to obsess mm -hmm. about what it could mean and either be satisfied or more frustrated the following week, you yeah. know? And they under, and they undercut a lot of that stuff very specifically. I'm thinking specifically the Evan Peters reveal. Um, by the end of the series, it is thrown away for a pretty, like a, a D grade dirty joke about his last name. Um, you know, it, it was one yep. of those things. It was so bad. I'm like, you know what? Props to you. It's actually hilarious. Like because you basically set people up to think this is one thing. It's like, nope, we did it just for this reason. Um, you know, I, I, Emily, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that as a, as a media student and someone who wants to work in the industry. Well, I I think how they did that was actually pretty amazing. And for for myself, as a past film major, um, I have been told that I'm terrible to watch things with because I'm always like nitpicking at certain things. I'm like, oh, well, I'm noticing the, the cinematography or the continuity of something. But the way that they kind of played things out, there was the one part with Evan Peters' um, appearance or recast as Pietro that she said like, oh, something's different. And then she had alluded, well, she literally said kick ass for the, mm -hmm. the show. And I was like, how funny because like yeah. you know like certain like you always love to hear the the title of a film 
in that actual film and they're like oh they said it but the way that they made that so exactly like very like clear like this is that character or this is that or like anything and i'm like okay i i i'm they're starting to break down that fourth wall that they're like yeah you know what we're, we're not there's no shame in it so i i thought it was interesting and an interesting take on creating a new series yeah, and, uh, you know, I certainly, one of the things that got brought up a lot in, like, the discourse around the show, uh, the recaps and that sort of thing, is that um, the idea of all of the agents in the sword base watching all of this happen and commenting on it was basically sort of like holding up a mirror to the audience and saying, this is what you look like. You're sitting there trying to come up with these theories and explanations for why things are happening, but sometimes the simplest corrections answer is the correct one, right? Um, and so I thought that was extremely funny, and the idea that uh, um, Darcy Lewis, who uh, Kat Dennings, just very glad to have her back in these, in these stories. She's fantastic. Um, you know, just becoming a fan of the show herself was a nice touch. Um, you know, there's a lot of this, and like, you know, coming back to that artifice, uh, just the idea of this being a show within a show, um, you know, the, one of the best parts of, I think, uh, what was this like the sixth or seventh, I forget which seventh episode, I think, um, where Vision's doing the sort of like standard, you know, 2010 sitcom thing where you're inter being interviewed and all that. And he's just like, why am I doing this? I don't have to do, he just gets up and leaves hilariously funny but also like kind of him realizing the you know it, it served a narrative purpose too but also kind of wink at the viewer saying maybe let's rethink a lot of this stuff as we go um you know uh, there's a lot you know and, and the idea of Chekhov's gun in particular is interesting because uh I, I saw some people complain that there's no surprises in the show well no because you've read the comics you've speculated over who's who since the first trailers came out and to be fair disney didn't do themselves any favors giving away the big twists and all that stuff in the marketing for this leading up to it um you know i, I think if they would have been able to reveal more gradually that this was all being engineered by wanda it might have landed better for for um you know people who were a bit more invested um but it's it is interesting just how much it has become like people are trying to outsmart the writers now it's not about enjoying the story it's just like i want to show that i'm smarter than you and i can tell where this is going and i'm as guilty of that as anybody else because i'm thinking like my the first episode i'm like okay is it aim it's aim it's got to be because the beekeeper and the hexagon it's got to be aim because i'm an idiot um and <laughs> like, uh anyway i don't know any any more thoughts on this I just wanted to be aim. I want. I mean, I want Modoc in one of these movies. He's getting a show, but it's not the same. No, um, I thought it was interesting how you brought up um, with Cat Dennings, um, with when we were talking earlier about the whole aspect of you know Wanda showing you what you know kind of her perfect little life. There was that one scene, and I forget which episode it was, but I think it was the episode that they kind of revealed the the sword team there um that she's watching the show and she's like oh like you know reacting like she's starting to fall for it too and i, I thought that was kind of an interesting take that i'm like oh well you know they're they're feeling for this character she's not just a character even though she's created this whole bubble around her that she could do whatever you want whatever she would like within reason and uh, just the reaction of someone who's trying to like kind of stop it is like oh well you know like look at that like oh you know really falling for the series she's created within the show 
Yeah, I, you know, I think speaking of Kat Dennings, like, that was one of those things where the way she so quickly disappears in the end, I wish there was just a little mm-hmm. bit more, you know, the, oh, yeah, you know, the car rams into the guy and they've got him mm-hmm. great. But that throw off about, you know, she didn't want to stand around for this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I was hoping for just for a little bit more. Something. Yeah. 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 I was hoping for a little bit more right there. And especially because she was also, you know, she had been very famous in her own sitcom. So I thought, like, you know, casting her again made a lot of sense. Uh, and I'm sure people were yelling when I was trying to think of actors and actresses who have been in sitcoms. And I forgot to mention her. So if you're yelling at the podcast machine, I, I remember <laughs> now. Um, it was you. You did it. You reminded me. Uh, because, like in WandaVision, you can have some influence on the show. Okay. Uh, we are coming up, I, I think, on the end of time, but uh, I'll just send it around the horn again. Any closing thoughts or ideas about uh, the show, where you'd like to see it go further, what you think might be next, anything on your mind? Well, with one other actress that I have to say, because I'm a huge fan of the Goldbergs, Catherine Han, she's mm-hmm. just one of my favorites. Love her in that show. And I thought she was perfectly placed, especially when it was um, the in-color um, episode and just showing how like you know she has that sitcom kind of attitude to her and that how amazingly transitioned throughout that that she could play each one of those preconceived roles that Wanda was creating I love the show I'm pat- impatiently waiting for more so yeah I think along those lines I, I, I you know like I alluded to earlier I really like the supernatural witch history there's just so much that can be done with that that I don't think we do enough with uh, and I so so you know that involves some more Agatha but also you know playing up more the sorcery and the history and historical stuff I, I love those shows where you know even something completely made up has enough points of connection to actual history Mm -hmm. that it just that's personally more satisfying for me so i'm hoping i'm hoping we go we go that route there yeah and uh you know that would man like you could do just the the history of the marvel universe like you could do like just things on the witch covens and all that themselves like that would be and and i also i I did like how they kind of inverted the expectation oh when you see agatha in the past at the stake you're like oh she's being burned as a witch in the salem witch trials Nope. The other witches are like, you are way too powerful and it is terrifying and you are a danger to everybody around you, which I thought was kind of an interesting inversion, but also still very much in line with the line she says, like, it's always, you know, you know, implying basically, you know, when when women get too powerful, somebody is always there to try to snack them down, you know, whether it's pitchforks and torches or, you know, the the highly advanced military weaponry or anything like that. Um, And I do... Oh, I, I just have to say that um, I was really excited when I saw that episode with it being in Salem because I used to work in Salem when I lived back in New England and seeing that I'm like, oh, yay, like, you know, I've been to all of that. So it was kind of cool. Like it made me feel like I had a little bit more connection. Not that I'm a witch. So right. but um, but that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um so the, the next thing, of course, is the, you know, if, if you know, uh, if, if you are invested, you know that the next thing for Scarlet Witch is she's going to be in the next Doctor Strange movie. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, yep. which, love the title. Absolutely, what you know, just has that sort of like Silver Age throwback title. Um, directed by Sam Raimi, which I'm really, really excited about because I love Sam Raimi. But um, So I guess we'll see. But uh, I'm curious now with the popularity of the show, if they rewrite it or maybe refocus it a little bit, that it, beca- she, it becomes kind of more of an extension of her story as opposed to another Doctor Strange story. I think I'm okay with that. 
Well, especially especially given the the whatever gap is between the Doctor Strange movie and this particular end of the series, you know, mm-hmm. how much time do they allow to elapse? Because accordingly, you can sketch out a whole story in between there. So, you know, that's what I'm curious to see as well. I mean, we'll have another year. It's uh, March 25th, 2022 right now. But of course, that is all subject to change because they still haven't put out Black Widow. That was supposed to come out a year ago. So it's everything's kind of being held back right now. Well, one way or another, um, this this idea of these shared shows that we're all kind of connecting to at this point in time, I think is fascinating to explore. And certainly a TV show based on the biggest transmedia franchise in recent memory Um you're going to have that talk. And so we did. And I want to thank you both for being here for part of it. Maybe we'll do another one for Falcon and Winter Soldier when that comes out uh, or finishes. If, if you're and, and a thrill to be with two people who know so much more of the behind the scenes production and media. So, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for the invitation and, and wonderful to be a part. Yes. And great to see you again, too, my friend. Um, I want to give you both a chance to just kind of uh, promote anything. If anybody, want, if you have like a social media so people can follow you, you got anything, any projects coming out or anything like that, uh, feel free to share. Um, Emily, you want to go first? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at BroadwayGirl603. Um, besides that, I'm currently working on an independent film project um, on uh, adoption centers for cats and rescue centers so that that'll be coming out fairly soon so we're in production right now so that's pretty much what i have going on for right now but i would like to also thank you guys both for having me on here it's been a real pleasure Thank you. So I am. I have. I have just started on Instagram, and it's grung R A R. Uh, starting going there, but I'm on Twitter and tweet a lot at uh, Regan A R Grung. So let's have some conversations there too. All right. Well, thank you both very much for being a part of this, and uh, thank you both for being on Serious Fun. And that will do it. Thank you again to Dr. Regan Grung and Emily Fecto. Uh, who knows? We might be doing another one of these where we talk about Winter Soldier and Falcon or Falcon and Winter Soldier. I forget who gets top billing in that off the top of my head. But the point is, another one's coming out. As we mentioned, maybe another six to seven weeks, we'll be back here having this conversation again. So thanks to them. And uh, thank you for listening to Serious Fun. Serious Fun is a production of of the Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Phoenix Studios executive producer, that's Ryan Martin. The production manager, that's Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salek. Uh, our sound engineer for this and so far all of the episodes of Serious Fun is me, Brian Carr. And so if you like it, great. I will take full credit. Uh, if you didn't like it, I will take full blame. Our uh, graphic designer is Kimberly Vlees. And... Uh, I want to, again, once a uh, big thanks again to uh, Dr. Reagan Durung and Emily Fecto. Uh, if you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Serious Fun on your favorite podcast platforms. Maybe you're an Apple person. Maybe you're a Stitcher person. Maybe you like the Spotify. I don't really care. Just go say something nice about us. That'd be great. Um, you can also head over to our website at uwgb.edu slash podcast to check out past episodes of Serious Fun and all the other Phoenix Studio shows. I am, as always, your host, Dr. Brian Carr. Until next time, thanks for listening.
You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.